Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. Farmers are working with IBM and Watson to help increase their crop yields. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as someone with a savage heart, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Corey Pine, investigative reporter and a regular contributor to The Baffler. He's the author of a new book called Live, Work, 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 Die, which is my favorite headline ever of a book, a journey into the savage heart of Silicon Valley. Savage heart. Corey, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks for having me. What are you, Joseph Conrad? That was the illusion. I figured. Anyway, so let's talk about your back. I want to get to how you wrote this book, but give me your very quick bio, how you got to where you got. Oh, uh, that's difficult. I grew up in a trailer park in eastern Washington State, uh, tinkered with computers since I was a kid, then discovered that there was a whole world of arts and music and writing, and I made the foolish decision to become a journalist. Not go computer, right, okay, right. (laughs) Uh, And I got into the campus newspaper at my college and Mm -hmm. then went to Columbia Journalism School. And then I've been globetrotting, so I hear, yeah. Yeah, Uh, waste of time. But go ahead. Yeah. Uh, oh, J-, J School was yeah. a waste of time. My time, but I don't know about yours. But I'm, I met a lot of rich people. Okay. You know, that's been useful. I already so knew that's a lot my, of rich people. Well, congratulations. <laughs> so not all of us are so lucky. A large mansion. Uh, <laughs> Myself, not a trailer park. <laughs> so I uh, kicked around uh, newspapers for about 10 years until mm-hmm. the bottom fell out. And yeah, I just, now you talked about that in the book. I want to go yeah. into that a little bit. So you, had, you didn't just kick around newspapers. You worked for newspapers, but you also did some news startups. So talk a little bit about those. Well, uh, the first time I left a newspaper job, I launched a one-man band investigative reporting operation back when crowdsourcing was the thing. Mm -hmm. It was called Mm warisbusiness.com. I would say that editorially it was more successful than it was financially. Okay, explain what you were doing. Because I Uh, love it. You call it a journal printer, (laughs) but it's a reporter printer, just so you know. Yeah. Well, when I thought that was really a good idea and still possible. Right. before I, I got educated. The idea was to put a name and face on the people who are profiting from war through mm-hmm. defense contracts or the arms trade. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a resource like that. You could go online and look at um, you know, where federal contracts were going, sure. but the data was really low quality and mm-hmm. actually nobody still had a picture of who these people were. So that right. was the original mission. Mm-hmm. And then to combine that with investigative reporting. Mm-hmm. I did that for about a year and raised a little bit of money, but um, it, it burnt out pretty quickly. What was the problem? I mean, I, well, I don't like selling stuff, so right. you know, it's a hard sell. It's a hard runway. sponsorship. Well, brought to you by GE. Part of it, I realized the only way I could actually monetize it was to sell ads or at least to services. Yeah, to the people I was supposed to be covering critically. So mm-hmm. uh, there was a growing contradiction that I couldn't get around mm-hmm. after about a year. Uh, and I also realized that although I had broken some stories. Um, and that had gotten picked up places like Mother Jones and, and Maddow's program. Um, the only people that really cared were people in the military. Mm-hmm. I mean, the American public just isn't that interested. Right. We, we don't have a draft anymore. So I, I burn out for a lot of reasons, but mostly it was overwork. I mean, it was trying to be the lead developer, you know, the lead mm-hmm. content generation. Uh, what did I just say? Content generator? Generation. Uh, cut, but that's okay. Cut that. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to cut it. The lead uh, content generator. And the uh, incompetent uh, salesman, publisher mm-hmm. in chief. Uh, so I kind of gave up and went back to my old newspaper job in Portland at Willamette Week, which mm-hmm. has a bunch of excellent reporters. Uh, and then rejoined my wife in London after a little while to uh, so she could finish her PhD. Yeah. And there I joined another startup called Demotics. doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. Uh, right about the fascinating time. company. Explain what it did. It was a great idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was a photo agency, so uh, a middleman essentially for freelance photographers. When I signed up, we had about thirty five thousand all over the world. Uh, many of them were in risky places like Syria, Turkey, right. India. Uh, take you know shooting protests and uh, at, like wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're creating a marketplace for war, war photographers well, or, or conflict or we, difficult places. That was kind of our bread and butter, but mm-hmm. we also had just, you know, people covering press conferences and red carpet events and, mm-hmm. you know, anything you could think of. Um, and it, yeah, about 35,000 when I joined, I, I came on as editor-in-chief and my job was essentially to professionalize the operation, mm-hmm. you know, because we had people from all over, but many of them, English wasn't their first language. And they right, so you're taking any. pictures and maybe selling them to a big 
AP or AP, AFP, Reuters, BBC, New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some would be very big selling, tens of thousands of dollars if you get the right shot. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how that market works. But most were much, much less than that. Uh, so. With the acquisition, it was bought by Bill Gates' company, Corbis, mm-hmm. which he then solely owned. I was expecting a big windfall. <laughs> here, comes, here comes my budget, my yeah. great editorial budget. This is why I left newspapers. Yeah. And, of course, it was the opposite. You know, they wanted, first thing they wanted to do is cut the staff 50%. Right. And um, they had no plans to make people who were in dangerous positions safer, which I thought was... Or pay was, them more. Or pay them more. They wanted to pay them less. I mm-hmm. thought it was completely unethical. And even though they were going to, you know, sort of nudge me out of my editor-in-chief job... Um, I quit because um, I wanted to be able to speak openly about that because mm-hmm. uh, I think that not just journalists, but any company that employs a freelancer has a duty of care to make sure they mm-hmm. don't um, I agree with you. kill themselves right. in the line of, in the line of uh, their employment. So uh, I was pretty disillusioned after that, um, kind of kicking around the apartment, wondering what to do or if I'd ever in work London. in journalism again. Uh, actually, we'd moved to Brighton by that point. Mm-hmm. Another, <laughs> the Silicon Beach, you okay. know, one of the, one of the 20 so. Silicon beaches, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, and it took me a while, but eventually I decided to do a, a novel about tech because mm-hmm. I heard that Google hired Ray Kurzweil to be director of engineering. He, they did. And I thought, why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do they believe this stuff? And uh-huh. I figured, um, given my experience. He's still there, I think. He's yeah, he's still there. I mean, okay. I don't know what he's up to. Uh, anyway. Extending his life. Hmm. Um, so, so you are trying to, <laughs> I think one time I said, you're going to die or something to him. It, it doesn't matter. Early I version of this gonna... book had an extended dialogue with his ghost. Oh, and, and I got oh okay. Cutting room floor. All uh, right. So, so you decided to come here. So talk about that journey. Well, I decided eventually, um, to pursue this as a nonfiction project. Mm-hmm. And I decided to pursue it in a way that I felt like other books that had... Crit- there had been that. People had done this idea. Of well, coming. I missed it. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> not, All right. not by me. Uh, right. well, I, I decided that to have the entrepreneurial experience as authentic as I could right. concoct it was the best way to cover all of the things that I wanted to cover about the tech industry. Mm-hmm. If I'd taken a more conventional approach and followed one company or one entrepreneur, sure. then I wouldn't have been able to hit all the points I wanted to hit. Sure. So I had to generate uh, the narrative through my own actions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I showed up and I decided, uh, well, how do I break in? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did what I thought you know, anybody fresh off the boat here trying to sell their company would do. And I open up Eventbrite and meet up and I just start going to parties. Right. There's a lot of events. It's a lot of, a lot of freebies to be had mm-hmm. and a lot of people hustling and pitching their startups and everybody's looking for a better job. And that's where you get the gossip. So, uh, it, it was great, uh, way in, not just as, uh, somebody sort of doing the entrepreneur thing, but also as a reporter, because that's where people talk is right. when they're lubricated. So what, give me some examples of places you went to. Uh, there's Had you lived here? No, no. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, but right. I, I'd never really been. And to what San was Francisco. your concept of Silicon Valley before you? Just exactly what had happened, or just the show Silicon Valley? I'd seen the show. I'd seen the first season. Uh, I haven't really caught up with it then. Um, I, my concept was, uh, I, of course, I'd read books too. You know, um, which ones guided you? I'm just curious. Well, uh, there there was the Dan Lyons one was pretty good. But that I, was back I didn't in read Dan. Yeah, that was Very after funny. I signed the contract. Um, there was the one about the Google guys. Um, that came out pretty early. Uh, the Amazon book, uh, mm-hmm. the Everything Store had come out. That's Fredstone, um, yeah. The, the book about uh, Apple, not the Isaacson book, but the, mm-hmm. the sort of the main tone before it. Mm-hmm. I'm really flubbing the Crazy titles here. Crazy or something still, uh, whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the one that, with all the um, psychedelics and the, yeah. the counterculture mm-hmm. origins. So I'd read all those. But actually, I would say that, you know, Evgen Marzov and, and Jaron Loniars and their kind of polemics were more influential in mm-hmm. how I approached the book. Why is that? I think they're right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and they're not obviously selling anything, mm-hmm. unlike um, many of the other right. writers right. on Silicon Valley. So when you got here, you were expecting what, and then what did you find? Honestly, we'll I was expecting to walk into some easy money. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I I have an Ivy League degree. I'm a white man. I was wearing a hoodie. I thought I had everything <laughs> that I needed to have. You, you had a lot story, of things. There were stories coming out all the time about yeah. these ridiculous startups which yeah. were getting funded. And I thought, yeah. well, how hard could it actually be? Well, yeah. All right. Uh, it was harder than I thought. All right. So let's go through that. So you, you arrived um, and your idea was? Well, I had a few, but only one made the book. Uh, the startup that I write about pitching in the book was called Laborize. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a unique SaaS product, strikes as a service. 
Uh, the idea was you would hire us to organize a union drive at your competitor, uh-huh. uh, thus slowing their operations, distracting uh-huh. their management, uh-huh. and demoralizing. Did people realize their... you were fucking with them or not? Well, is... people, no. I, I mean, some maybe. Uh, it's a it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I I never quite let them know one way or the other. Right. Honestly. So explain your process of going around. Well, uh, I tried everything. I tried. Uh, cold calling, cold emailing. I tried going to networking events and buttonholing VCs. I went to Cougar Night out at the Rosewood Hotel. Yeah. There were a lot of VCs there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just tried to have my ear to the ground. Where are mm-hmm. people? Where can I get them in social situations? And mm-hmm. that proved completely fruitless. I mm-hmm. tried sneaking into buildings. Like there's an incubator in the Twitter building mm-hmm. that yes. uh, I went to an event there and saw that somebody, a VC had off- office hours mm-hmm. written on the whiteboard. And so I just took a note of that and then showed up later for the office hours, mm-hmm. hoping to crash. And, and none of that, I mean, I had very bad luck. So, so talk about those experiences. What, give me a bad luck. What happened? You go into Well, once there was one down um, down in Soma, and I forget the name of the, the place, but like I waited outside and followed somebody in when the doors were open and then, mm-hmm. you know, gave them my card. I had these business cards printed up that said future billionaire at AOL.com. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, those people. Well, what do you mean? Just, okay, go ahead. Uh, and, you know, people complimented my chutzpah, but I didn't get any meetings that way. Right. The, I, eventually I resorted to something which I haven't really seen a lot of reporting on um, and which should probably be illegal because mm-hmm. it's illegal in Hollywood for, uh, you know, to, to scam aspiring actors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, by doing, you know, fee workshops. to, to sure, yeah. But there's a huge pay-to-pitch industry around yes, here. Yes, there is. Yeah. And so I, th- that's really where I ended up getting in front of uh, uh-huh. people that s- supposedly could invest in my company. Right. So explain, go through that experience. Yeah. Uh, so let me, there were a couple. Uh, Startup weekend isn't, I mean, you do have to pay a fee, but it's not exactly the thing. Mm-hmm. There was one I went to down in San Jose um, and it was like, you know, a $30, $40 ticket. You would show up, there would be a hundred other people there uh, who'd, who'd paid to get 20 seconds or 30 seconds in front of a couple of VCs, like a Shark Tank kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And everybody would just get up and pitch and, you know, people would clap or not. And then the investors would, I guess the the supposed value proposition is that they'd give you feedback Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be helpful, but I'm not sure uh, subjectively. And I'm not really the expert. I'm just a humble reporter, not, mm-hmm. a, not a genius investor. But it seemed like the feedback kind of changed just on a whim. You know, like they were just trying to think of something to say. To right. Yeah, they were. Along. They were, yeah. just so you know. So so what was your goal here? I mean, is it a game for you or that you really wanted to see if you could actually succeed? I wanted to write an entertaining book. Right. That's what I figured. Yeah. 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 So what happened to your startup? What happened to the... Uh, it's still online, laborize.com, if anybody's interested. There's mm-hmm. a contact email, and we're accepting uh, all seed stage. <laughs> so you got no money. <laughs> you got no money whatsoever. So that means Silicon Valley works, right? That it didn't Well, what, why? I mean, it was a great... I had a lot of people say it was a great idea. Really? It's a terrible idea. But why? It's just terrible. There's so many The only problem with it is that it's illegal. Well, I suppose I didn't even know that, but I I just think it's terrible on the. I don't think it means Silicon Valley works. I mean, so look t- around. So, so to go more into your experience, I think I wanna... you know. I think it means that um, I was not very persuasive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's perhaps. But on talk me. about what 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 did you hope to accomplish by doing this? Is just to see the scene and how it works. So you went, you tried to get meetings. Uh huh. You didn't get any. Well, I got I got the pay to pitch meeting. Pay to pitch meeting. Yeah. You did the pay to pitch meeting, mm-hmm. and then what? Oh, I want to hear to your story. Pursue? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is, I mean, I want people to buy the book. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but what, what the, the goal of it is to show how it works. Also, well, I, I or hope... Or to give a guide. I hope to illustrate some of what it's like for someone who doesn't have a lot of connections. And mm-hmm. it's you, one wall after another. I mean, uh, we've heard the story of the winners time and again. And right. we don't hear about the overwhelming majority of startups that right. fail. Right, So right. that's part of the... The goal. The goal. Right. To right. show what it's like for the losers. And there's a lot of them. Uh, but also, um, you know, I was kind of hoping that somebody would say yes so that I could humiliate them. Meaning? Meaning you, I have a chip on my shoulder about the tech industry. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a newspaper guy. And they, All right. They ruined it for me. All right. So we're going to talk about that more <laughs> when we get back about your chip and what you think tech is doing to media and other things. And I do want to hear more about this journey of yours of what you were trying to do. We're here with Corey Pine, investigative reporter and a regular contributor to The Baffler. He's author of a new book called Live, Work, 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 Die, A Journey into the Savage Heart of Silicon Valley. 
Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe. It's important to protect your home with a home security system. But how many home security companies say, how can we protect your home and your privacy? That's what I love about Simply Safe. They obsess over details like no one else. Here's an example. Simply Safe has a camera you can control from your phone, but they want to protect your home and your privacy, so they came up with this brilliant idea, a privacy shutter for their camera. They spent months and months testing different metals and hinge designs. The result, an effective home security camera with a thin, lightweight aluminum privacy shutter that will work every time. It's that kind of attention to detail that sets Simply Safe apart and keeps your family safe. Simply Safe isn't just home security, it's home security done right. Check out Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com/decode. That's simplysafe.com/decode to learn more about Simply Safe today. simplysafe.com/decode. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Hey, Kara. Guess who's on the show this week? Wait, 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 wait. He'll tell you. Peter Kafka. No, Peter Kafka's always on the show. That's oh, Ezra Klein. Yeah, me too. Ezra, what do we talk about? We're talking about our new Netflix show, Explained. It's an awesome conversation. Ezra told me he had a heart out after an hour. He went past an hour because Ezra is so interesting. Um, rather than summarize Peter what- I talked too long. Rather than what, summarize what Ezra and I talked about, you should just listen to the show. It's great. We talk about everything. Deal? Deal. All right, Ezra was happy. You're happy. Thanks. You guys will enjoy. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're here with Corey Pine, the author of Live, Work, Work, Die, which is about his experience, fake experience, or sort of experience as an author, trying to become a star. I was star definitely trying to have it both ways. All right, I'm that's not, what I mean. Yeah. So explain the title, Live, Work, Work, Die. Well, that's the future that I believe Silicon Valley is building so for all of us. So explain that. Explain that. Well, uh, you know, our lives are turned into a, a profit source mm-hmm. uh, through data mining. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are uh, a, an employee or a contractor or even a user of these companies, I mean, users uh, are part of the labor force for the big platforms now. Right. Um, I think the vision is uh, they have no obligations to us as labor, uh, and we have no uh, or few uh, options, options but to but to do what they say, to abide the terms of service so how until do you we're look, all used up. Yeah, so, so talk about that idea, because it's one of the things that Facebook and others push back on. That pro, uh, I, I just did an interview with Tim Cook, and he said, you're the product. You are, he was declaring what I think everybody thinks, which is the, the user is the product, not in most of these businesses, um, which caused Facebook to be very angry at him for pointing out what I think was the obvious. Um, and, and I mean, it's not him. like he's the first person to exactly. say that. No, but they got yeah. real mad because he did it, I guess. I don't know why, whatever. They're very touchy, aren't They're very they? Touchy. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. So uh, talk about that idea of like, w- like recently, use Facebook as an example, the concept of what you're putting out, I mean, which I think is completely right. But. Yeah, well, you look at this uh, Cam- so-called Cambridge Analytica scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, as far as I can tell, um, they're, they were using Facebook for the purpose that Facebook exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they were Facebook's business model is to uh, package, uh, compile, and collect and sell our information mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, to whoever pays. Mm-hmm. Um and along the way, there's uh, a lot of um, perhaps underexamined damage that it's doing to us as human beings. I mean, in terms of the uh, uh, the reward, the the dopamine cycle in our brains. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would really like to know um, what they've learned in their own internal research uh, as far as how the algorithm works, what they're, what we see when we log on. And, and, and what we do. And Yeah, and what we do, what it's showing us, what it's not showing us, uh, how it tracks um, our usage and, and perhaps uh, sends uh, messages or notifications to manipulate our responses, which are totally, I mean, we're animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big mystery that mm-hmm. we have um, predictable behavioral responses. Um, I think it's troubling that a, a, a few Tech corporations seem to know more about that than most governments, or mm-hmm. uh, certainly the public at large. Uh, and I don't think that, frankly, I mean, I don't think it should be 
uh, legal to make money the way that Facebook does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I heard uh, Ron Wyden on stage. Oh, at uh, the conference yeah. in Portland, he said, you know, people should own their data. That should be the new legal principle. I think I couldn't have said it better myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, why why should we uh, allow companies to profit from things about us that we don't even know? Mm-hmm. Um, simply so that we can access a, a phone book. <laughs> so what do you think the result of these hearings? Do you think, you know, Ron has talked about that for years, mm-hmm. the concept of it. Why has it not gotten to the general public? Do you know what I think it is? Well, first of all, I mean, the Democratic Party has been very close to Silicon Valley all through the Obama years and yes, since Clinton's, have. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I was just, you know, I did a reading in D.C. and I was just mm-hmm. there and, and the word around the Hill was... Um, I mean, I'm putting this, I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. I'm putting this in the simplest and most cynical terms that I can. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we don't care if you disrupt newspapers or schools or, uh, you know, the trucking industry and put all these people out of work, but Mm -hmm. you mess with the elections and that's where we eat. So that's why they're mad. And that's why I think that you'll see more mainstream media coverage uh, be more critical Mm -hmm. of the tech platforms because, um, you know, the Democratic Party is... mm, Maybe just not as friendly. Well, as they, oh, they're yeah. very unfriendly. Yeah. Not all of them. Interesting. I had an interesting interview with Chuck Schumer where he was way too positive about Facebook. And then I had one with Cory Booker and others who were not. Well, Schumer probably just hasn't been briefed. That's, yet. <laughs> that's a fair point. <laughs> um, but it, what was interesting was the tonality had changed really drastically. You're 100% right. I don't know if it'll stay that way because I thought those hearings There's were a really lot of money. There's a lot yeah. of money in yeah. it. I mean, that's part of the book too. You yeah. know, uh, it, it's not simply a... a misadventure story, although mm-hmm. that's that's part of it. I tried to make it fun. Mm-hmm. I, I do go through the unicorns and what, what made them all work. And mm-hmm. it was the one pattern I discerned, mm-hmm. um, successful startups, large and small, was just a willingness to flout the law and regulations and mm-hmm. then patch it up later once yeah. you've made a lot of money. Right, right. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But I want to talk more about this, the concept of what, when you talk about this, the, the uses of data and you as the product, essentially. Where does that lead from your perspective? To a feudal society. Okay, explain that. Well, um, there's not really... um, What does that look like? How how is it feudal? I I, I think it looks like um, ways that you would hear it described by some people in the Valley, like um, I suppose uh, Balaji Srinivasan would be the most uh, carefully... uh, worded advocate of, of something like this, but uh, he's he's advocated uh, what he calls a cloud uh, kind of governance structure for the mm-hmm. world where you, people choose their uh, their countries or how they want to be governed in a, in a very consumer fashion. Mm-hmm. So you don't like your government, you pick up and leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's actually a really popular idea in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Another way I've heard it expressed is from... Um, Peter Thiel's friend, uh, Curtis Yarvin, a.k.a. Manchester Boldbug, who talks about having a patchwork, a global patchwork of small, like, city-states, um, which would be essentially co- corporate shareholder dictatorships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose you could have one where all the, the hippie, you know, anarchists would go and do their own thing, but mm-hmm. it's hard for me to imagine how democratic states would survive uh, in that kind of environment, considering that corporations have all the money and power. Right, right. I do look at these companies like nation states, and some of them are well, better than others. I mean, there's there's a point in the conclusion. Apparently last year, I think it was Denmark, hired the first ambassador who's not an ambassador to a country, but is an ambassador to like Google, Apple, and mm-hmm. the American tech companies. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see more of that. Because especially with like Trump in charge, I mean, if you're a foreign government, would you want to deal with the Trump administration? Or Google. Or Google. And exactly. I think a lot of companies are going to make that calculus. And and frankly, consumers already are. Mm -hmm. In many ways, we already treat these platforms as the suppliers of, you know, bread and security. I mean, we just had this news about Twitter today and it's Mm -hmm. like, oh my, it's like national security crisis. Yeah, sorry. uh, Twitter just announced um, before we recorded that there was a breach and they had, you know, basically every user's password and plain text sitting around somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you know, for the citizens of Twitter, this is a big deal. This is like, uh, you know, the gates are open. For a second, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, 100%. They so, should force change everybody's password. Yeah, well, that would be the right thing to do. Yeah, but, like turn uh, it off and then... But here's the thing. Here, the, this is another way that they're already more mm-hmm. powerful than governments, these companies. I mean, you would think that there would be a government 
agency or entity or regulator or somebody right. who would be able to hold a company accountable for a breach like this, but mm-hmm. I'm not aware of what that is. There isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Later, later when it happens, I, Yahoo has just fined a certain amount of money and probably faces other charges, but has yet to really pay for a massive data breach. Well, and it happens again and again and again. Right. Elizabeth Warren talks about this, but very few others. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's still a lot of educating to do with the uh, political class and it may take a whole new a whole new class or generation of... Uh, hey, you're right. They are catching on because of the election yeah. manipulation and not anything else. And they should be paying attention to job disruption in the other way. So let's get back to your book. So talk to me about some lessons you learned from doing it What, what mm. from your from your journey. Number one lesson, um, if you're hearing about an uh, opportunity, it's probably too late. Mm-hmm. Like the people that have made their money have, have moved on right. to the next thing. Right. Um, and I was a little naive about that. Meaning? Well, um, I, I still, th- when I came to do my reporting, most of which took place in 2015, mm-hmm. I thought that um, the easy money was still flowing freely and I was mistaken. I mean, I mm-hmm. think it had pretty much, uh, the ladder had been pulled up by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clearly you hadn't gotten to blockchain yet. That's the perfect well, time. right. I, I thought it was all internet of things. <laughs> then, oh, you know? damn. And it's hard, it, it is hard. And I, also that it's essentially random. I mean, what the mm-hmm. next big thing becomes. It's all marketing. Right. I learned that I was surprised how little tech and innovation actually mattered mm-hmm. when it came to uh, which companies blow up and which, you mm-hmm. know, wither away. Mm-hmm. It Actually, it's the stupidest thing to do to invest a lot in research and to invent something new. I mean, right. you want to sell the product first and then right. have somebody underwrite all that stuff. Right, right. You know, usually it's the government, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the largest, most successful been. companies. Yeah. You know, now, I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I was actually surprised. I was I was maybe not cynical enough about that side of the process, how much right. of it was sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised how unhappy a lot of people that work at tech companies are, mm-hmm. um, especially considering their salaries. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Uh, I, I, the, talk the, about the unhappiness. The, well, you know, I talked to one guy who he was... I, I, I took him as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I met him at a conference and he was just kind of a chubby, goofy young guy. And he was glad handing everyone and schmoozing and pitching a startup. And he'd already raised four million in the mm-hmm. seed round or something. And I was like, and just for a Groupon clone, right? Right, right. right. And I thought, wow, that's really impressive. Good for him. And then I'm talking to him and, you know, after a few drinks, he says, you know, I was happier when I was working as a manager at a restaurant and mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I'm losing friends. I mean, my friends are in the startup and it's too stressful. Like it's become tense. I never see anyone anymore. My apartment sucks. Like I, I should have stayed at the restaurant. And he said, you know, I would have been happier if I'd gotten just gone to work for the government. Mm-hmm. had a steady like nine to five. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a lot of people it's, who feel that way. So why do you way. think that is? What's in the, I mean, you have this live, work, work. What do you think is wrong with the culture in that regard? Uh, well, I think... You know, as Americans, we're raised to believe that hard work and a good idea will lead to success and mm-hmm. riches, and that's simply not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main factor is probably who you know, and then on top of that, luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, who you know is a byproduct of luck, so you can really just boil it down to that. Right. Um, and, you know, I think people create a lot of uh, unnecessary stress and misery for themselves trying to achieve something that, one, may not be possible for them. Mm-hmm. Because of who they are, or just their luck, right? And um, two, um, it may not be that desirable anyway. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't see a lot of startups that are even pretending to do good anymore, like they right. did a few years ago. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, whose throat can we slit to yeah. like to prop, pick their pocket? I mean, right. it's it's really mer- ruthless and mercenary now about mm-hmm. extracting value from users and labor and all the usual suspects mm-hmm. and privatizing public assets and on and on and on. I mean, it's really. I mean, they're giving Wall Street a run for their money here. So why does that idea persist that they're doing good? Because they still do have a, a do-gooder mentality. I agree with you completely. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> I don't know if they're uh, if they're very adept throat slashers particularly, but... Well, it is a little silly sometimes, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, so the Trump people are incompetent too, and like they still do a lot of damage. So. Right, right. Uh, why does it persist? Uh, it's a It's a more appealing story. I mean, I did a reading at Stanford last night mm-hmm. and I got a question. It was like, so what's a good thing that the tech industry is doing? That's so just unambiguous. I said, no, nothing. Nothing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I was happier before I had a smartphone. I've downgraded to a dumb phone. Like mm-hmm. Most of the stuff I don't need. Mm-hmm. I liked my 2008 MacBook Pro, but a lot better than my new one. You know, mm-hmm. I could change the battery. I mean, every new release and innovation is just designed to extract more money out of us and, mm-hmm. and degrade the, the product. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not... 
I'm not sure what how my life has been improved. So what should happen? I want to get in the next section about where, where tech is going. Mm-hmm. I think it really is in a crisis in an area that they did. And in, in, when it initially started, there are, there are, compared to, I don't know, a chemical company, there were bigger goals. I think that's probably fair. You know what I mean? There were bigger goals of expanding people's intelligence, expanding people's... You know, I do think they were there at the start. And it certainly wasn't, let's make some pesticides and sell them, you know. I, but I think there was there were blinders on in that period, right. you know. It right. was like and you know, guys like Ray Kurzweil who was kind of in, the inspiration for the book. I mean, I, I respect his intelligence. Explain why that was. What, what, well, because he got hired at Google and I just thought it was crazy that a company of that size and power was interested well, in the yeah, singularity, you know. Yeah. Like is this the so they're trying to accelerate this vision and I think yeah, actually they I think are. Google just collects china dolls. That's what I think. I've <laughs> I seen mean, them do it for decades. Okay. Yeah. You, that's a good theory I used too. To, when I was uh, years ago, when it was very small, every now and then someone would pop out of a room at the old Google, which was a very small place. When I was walking around with Larry or Sergey, and it would be like Doug Engelbart, or suddenly there was Vince Cerf. Oh, hi, Vin! You correct? You created the internet, right? right. But he was working there, just working. And he's, I think he still is. He's they the would chief just, internet evangelist. Whatever. They just collected people. And then you'd like someone from very early days and you'd be like, oh, hello, you. Or they were doing something. It was it was like you were collecting dolls. Well, I think the optimism was misplaced yes. because, um, you know, I remember from one of Kurzweil's books, it was like, oh, well, uh, we don't really need to change anything right now. The important thing is that we keep funneling resources to the tech sector so that we can accelerate the singularity and then the nanobots will clean up all the pollution that we've made uh-huh. and I just I, you know I don't think that's a safe bet when uh-huh. we're talking about <laughs> 7 billion people you and, don't believe and the nanobots <laughs> are our future well even if they are I mean what if something really bad happens in the meantime yeah yeah. I mean, it already is. Yeah, contingencies is not I, I'm, what Silicon I'm, Valley does well, do they? No, and no. The, and also immediate harm reduction. <laughs> meaning, meaning, <laughs> like, oh, that it's what can we do to make things better now? Yeah, you know, there's just you just saw Jeff Bezos talking about the best thing I can think of to do with my 130 billion dollars is to build rockets, and it's right. like people are starving, the world's on fire. Yeah, like right, your rockets are great, but there's not room for yeah, but everybody then they on can them. Leave. Yeah. Well, that's the idea, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, were. I talk about that at the end. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, well, we're so going to get into that next when we get back. We're here with Corey Pine. He's the author of Live, Work, Work, Die. Obviously, he does not have a positive outlook on where Silicon Valley is going, but we're going to talk about that and where it is going next. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. What if artificial intelligence could help? Farmers are already using it to help increase crop yields. Watson and the IBM Cloud provides access to weather data and analyze satellite imagery to help them monitor soil moisture levels and to reduce water waste. So as the population grows, more food can be put on tables. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week we answer your questions about consumer tech and the week's news and various and sundry things. And this week I talked to Scott Galloway, who is an NYU professor. He's a pundit. He runs all kinds of things. What's your favorite thing we talked about in this week's episode? Besides you going to South Beach with the, with with, the internet with, crew. With Zach and the internet crew? Yeah. You know, I, I think the responsibility that government has to... Um, you know, you were saying go off the script. I, I really do think the world is what we make of it. And there's a huge opportunity to... To kind of create, you know, the great society that, that we all envision. Which is by regulating these big companies. Or, or I wouldn't right. even say it's regulation, but it's acknowledging that government works and the world is what we make of it. And we have the money. We have the, you know, we just lack the will. Oh, all right, then. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. Hi, Rico Decode. Vox just launched a new show on Netflix. It's called Explained, and you can find it on Netflix right now. It's for people like you, people who are curious about the world around them. And here's our promise. If you give us 15 minutes of your time, or sometimes 20, sometimes we can stick to the 15-minute limit. So 15 to 20 minutes of your time will take you from being just curious about a big, important topic to actually understanding it. Our first few episodes explore things like... Why is monogamy so important around the world? What happens when we can actually edit our DNA and take control of our own evolution? Why is the racial wealth gap in America still growing? 
You'll see it's Vox to its core. It's a bigger and more ambitious yes, but still looking and feeling and sounding like us. And we'll hopefully give you the context and reporting and research that actually makes these super, super satisfying. I think the most satisfying videos we've ever made. So go to Netflix and check it out. You can search for it. You can search for Vox or you can just go to Netflix.com slash explained. We're here with Corey Pine. He's the author of Live, Work, 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 Die, three works. Um, and you you write for The Baffler. Explain what that is to people who don't know. You, the, you, the Baffler was a sort of an indie magazine mm-hmm. founded in the mm-hmm. 90s by Thomas Frank, who people probably know from What's the Matter with Kansas? And I think his most recent book is Listen Liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a you know leftist commentator, historian, economist. I'm not sure his exact, exact field, but he's known for his... Um, uh, biting, uh, sarcastic an wit, and that's author. that's um, really the tone and the mission of the magazine is mm-hmm. to, as they put it, blunt the cutting edge. Right. So. so when you're when you think about tech and where we are, um, you know, you were going into it, I think, to point out the ridiculousness of it, the idea, the canard that is Silicon Valley. Um, that's what I do. Yes, <laughs> I know. Let me go back to that question: Is there anything good about it? Do you feel like that it's it has things, and when where is it going, or is it will just continue to sort of twist and eat itself? I'm not sure where it's going. You know, mm-hmm. two years ago, I or even last November, mm-hmm. when I was finishing up the last draft of the book and getting it ready for publication, I thought maybe this bubble won't end. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they've su- actually succeeded in reordering the economy in such a way that it doesn't matter if they screw up and they're right. too big to fail in a, in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, and now I'm not sure. There's, you know, my my idea about how it's going to play out changes mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to say, I can tell you where I think it should go. All right, let's talk first about where it is right now. Where do you put tech now in its... At a very precarious point. Mm-hmm. I think they need another major breakthrough along the lines of you know the, the smartphone or the mm-hmm. touchscreen computers um, to bail them out of what is... Um, uh, what looks to me like kind of a inflated numbers game, like we saw in in the first dot com bubble, mm-hmm. because um, when you look at what's what's really underpinning the growth rates of the big platforms, um, I, I think if somebody, if a reporter like John Caru with the resources that a major news organization has, this were, is were Theron, to, who wrote about Theranos, yeah, were to dig into the uh, the metrics that companies are using to. Mm-hmm. Uh, justify their growth figures. I, I suspect we'd find a lot more stories. Right. Maybe not as shocking as Theranos, mm-hmm. but um, I thought it was significant uh, before Cambridge Analytica shut down. But when Facebook was essentially saying they're a rogue actor, mm-hmm. their um, you know their big shot brainy engineer was on CNBC or some network like that saying, "Well, you know the the interesting thing." is that uh, the data that Facebook was supplying to us was not at all that accurate or useful, mm-hmm. which I thought was quite a counterpunch, <laughs> right? I mean, considering the audience yes, that watches us- Yes, we abused us, it, but it wasn't effective. But it, yeah, we, well, we, not only that, we had to take what they had and piece it together in a useful product. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening carefully, what does that send? What kind of message does that send Shitty to data. advertisers? Yeah. Shitty, it's crap. Shitty data. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Um, they, uh, nonetheless, they have a lot of it. They certainly have a lot. Mm. Shitty or not, it's a lot of it and it's got a well, lot of signals. And if they're selling it to the Russian mob, I'm sure they're smart right. enough to they figure sell out. sell so. data. Corey. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just hoard it relentlessly <laughs> and then massage it and lend it out. Right. That's what they do. Let's keep Somebody it Somebody got mad at me. They don't the other sell night. data. That's their line. I drives every time he said that. On, uh, Mark said that on the thing. I'm like, they hoard it relentlessly and reuse it. Like it's the it's, same I thing. I think it's di- it, it, it it's bad. a distinction without a difference. Frankly. Oh, but it's perfect because then the senators went, um, oh, okay, good. And I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. The next question is, what do you do with the data? You then? know, that's like the same thing that happened in 2008 when um, everybody was bedazzled by all these Wall Street jargon yeah. terms like collateralized debt obligations, right. and nobody right. was brave enough to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right, right. What does that mean? Well, I'm in that really case, there in. was actual money and houses on the line. Well, Here, it's. It's data. What uh, yeah. is it exactly? Well, exactly. I'm just saying, I don't think it'll be quite the same economic repercussions. 
Because those are real houses with And these real are people. just some companies with a lot Not of a No, though the data has, like, they can manipulate elections. That's what they can do. I mean, it has a yeah. different kind of damage. It's not a necessarily a house damage. It's a. It's not a physical damage. It's a, it's a psychic. Psychic, psychic, psychic damage. democratic. Let's go Joe Rogan here <laughs> yeah, with this, right. the rest Psych- of this podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you think they're on a precarious place. Where does it go then? Well, from your like I said, I think journeys. they need a big breakthrough. And what I'm worried about is you saw the, the demonstration from MIT Media Lab with the... Uh, Oh, the thinking. The mind reading. Yeah, the mind reading helmet. thing. Yeah. Now, I, I've been trying to figure out if that was a, a rigged demonstration or not, yeah. and I don't know the answer. It reminds me of the Jeff Bezos drone thing on 60 Minutes. Oh, yeah. That. Well, look, it, they've been, it's been their ambition for a long time, and I'm worried that eventually they will figure out oh, how to will. get in our heads. And uh, yeah. I, I, th- then we're looking at a... I don't see how a, an invention like that, unless we get a handle on tech from a regulatory point of view yeah. would not quickly become mandatory. Right. And that would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Given that how much every major tech company has screwed up on security, privacy, mm-hmm. just basic decency. Right. You know, how come it took so long to get rid of the Nazis on Twitter? I mean, you know, they're still there. And same on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought the YouTube kid scan I thought some Republicans were going to jump on that YouTube kin scandal mm-hmm. uh, last year mm-hmm. and run with it. Right. But it hasn't no. happened. I guess they just got lucky no. or something. Uh, but these People things happen again. People don't maintain their indignance, I think. You know, it's hard to ma- in this environment which was which is made amplified, the quick twitchy environment made amplified by social media, indignance is too fast burn. It burns. Isn't burns. that interesting? That's I mean, right. it's an interesting byproduct of, I mean, we have to look at these companies as they're the big, they're big media now. Mm-hmm. You know, we still they all, don't like to call themselves. Well, that for we sure. still hear a lot about the mainstream media, but who is it really? Well, I think it's hard to sustain any story. I, I've noticed that just in the short time, we would have lots of impact. Sometimes years ago, much more impact than that. But now we have impact, and then it goes quickly. I, I have an expansive definition of literacy. I think that. To be truly literate, you need to have a background of knowledge and context, Mm -hmm. and you need to be able to maintain your attention span for more than five seconds. And so I'm worried about a degradation of literacy across the board. You You just see it. And you can certainly have impact because, you know, us and other reporters did a lot of stuff on Uber, and he finally was kicked out. Like, you know, you can have that impact. It took a steady drumbeat. It took a while. Yeah. Like, you were like, stay down. No, stay down. No, stop getting up. Stop getting up. And it's the same thing with Trump. It's like, stay down. Stay down. No, okay. You're going to get up again. Like, and ultimately, you get weary versus the subject. But they get up a lot more than they used to. You know what I mean? Like, they don't stay down. That's uh, that's discouraging. I know it is discouraging. So talk about where tech should be then. Let's finish up talking about the idea of where you imagine it should be. There are a lot of heartening things. Okay. I mean, you know, I think if the Dodo can organize, then Facebook can organize, <laughs> let me just say. And also, and I think that would be to the good. Yeah. Uh, I also think that uh, we need a fundamental rewrite of the networking protocols that create what we call the internet. Mm-hmm. I think we need to go back to the drawing board and come up with something that's more secure you know, that guarantees privacy, that perhaps has a built-in way for creators to get compensated for their work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a new internet, if, perhaps. A new internet. Which is the plot and of Silicon Valley this season. Just well, so I know, but they want a private one. I think we need a public one and not to really, privatize it? it again like we did in the yeah, 90s. Yeah, is it a private one on the show? Oh. The show, the See, TV I've all, show. I haven't made it past season the one. The HBO I haven't, I haven't made show, it past Silicon Valley, one. this whole season, creating a new internet because the old internet, it doesn't privacy protected, doesn't have a way to come. Oh. It's wow. funny. And then just the other day, I was talking to someone, a pretty big wheel in Silicon Valley, and I said, what are you working on blockchain, of course, because you all are, because you think it's where to make even more money, uh, obscene amounts of money. And he was like, no, the new internet. And I was like, that's the plot of Silicon Valley. He's like, no, there's going to be a new internet. Well, they've been prescient, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. uh, And it, I mean, that's what uh, Curtis Yarvin's startup does. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, it's this, it's that kind of effort. And, yeah. the, and the European Commission is funding efforts to do yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it is the next big thing, yeah. the new internet. Yeah. I also know that, like, I think part of the reason the Internet of Things fizzled out is mm-hmm. that there's a fundamental infrastructure problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember hearing a guy from Akamai talk about how there's not a bandwidth limitation, but there's a ping problem mm-hmm. with the current architecture. So you really can't have right. a network chip in everything that's talking because it'll jam up the right. the, yeah. the tubes. Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, yeah. Well, it wasn't I, created for this. No, no. And the only reason it's been allowed to persist is because our society values profit mm-hmm. over everything else. And some people are making really good profits with this current infrastructure, mm-hmm. but it's not in the public interest to keep it how it is. So design the way it should be. Uh, I'm not an engineer. I think, right. I mean, some of the proposals I heard from 
um, network engineers were thinking and working on this stuff included um, uh, ways. So if you were to post something, an image, uh, a piece of writing, uh, you could perhaps be compensated automatically through the protocol mm-hmm. whenever somebody looked at it, right. for instance. Mm-hmm. So there you have a kind of uh, built-in... Can't be stolen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why that wouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. Um I suppose that uh, you know what the crypto people have been asking for uh, with end-to-end encryption on everything. I don't mm-hmm. see why that shouldn't be a basic principle. Um, and what was the other thing? Security, private, that kind of covers both. Uh, yeah, and again, I think it should be publicly owned because I think public ownership of at least the physical infrastructure mm-hmm. and probably the protocols is the only way to ensure that we don't wind up with a huge... Uh, private Fight over black, neutrality. Well, black black boxes of data too. Right, right. I mean, when it comes to the relationships some of these companies have with the government, I mean, the problem in government there aren't enough people who are technically literate enough to understand the basic problem with having Amazon run the CIA's cloud mm-hmm. or with having Palantir have access to all of this, yeah. you know, uh, government data yeah, and selling it back to the government. Amazon's going to get attacked by Trump for the cloud thing. I'm like, is that so bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a little bit of mess. Like, but then the alternate is Oracle. Ooh. Like, yeah. You, you sort of sit there and you're like, mm, don't like either of these it's choices. It's basically a Philip K. Dick novel. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, no. For, you know, and then, but then there is nobody else. What if you're the government? What do you do? Like, I mean, like, they've already outsourced the talent. It's a big Right, that's I mean, what I, I mean. It's, you it's, create it yourself. It's a, I then, think it's a generational But then you effort. go, I want these guys run it either. Not so much. Like once you start to even read even the small amounts well, of stuff. If they, if the government, I mean, so I guess first things first, the government has to let people that smoke weed get the security <laughs> clearances to work because that seems to be the <laughs> well, bottleneck next. right that's now. That's next. That's next. <laughs> so I want to get back to your book. I want to finish up telling you about your book. So what do you hope to like accomplish? What is like your without giving away like what with the what, book? Yeah. What do you? What is your? Besides being the cynical guy on the sidelines, you know, saying this sucks. I mean, I want to, I want to take this industry down a couple notches. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I'm as a reporter. I'm a little bit disappointed because, you know, I read my book and I'm like, I didn't break a whole lot of news. I mean, mm-hmm. in the in the sense of there's a lot of scoops in here, mm-hmm. but I think it's written in a way that will make people that haven't thought about this stuff or maybe haven't caught every story like the kinds we've right. been talking about will see the tech industry and the services they use in a new way. Mm-hmm. And that that's my main goal, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to being funny and hopefully selling some books so I can do another one because I don't have a plan B do as far as my career do you goes. Think, uh, <laughs> do you think people are will become aware of it? Because part of me feels like there is people's awareness. I was in an elevator the other day and after the Facebook hearings and I kept saying, oh, nothing's going to happen with this. He did fine. Like he, he managed to like snow them in some fashion. And two guys, elevator operators fixing something said, oh, all my public information on Facebook, that's really disturbing. And I was like, not because they were elevator guys, but it's not people I expected. You didn't to expect them to be that. that yeah. Tech, yeah. And not tech literate, but just like understand in a lizard brain way, like a lot of people like, wait a minute. Just I think a lot minute. of people do. Like, I, you I, know, like people who aren't technical. I think a lot of people do understand it in that intuitive way. And also, I, I mean, I taught a university writing class for the first time this year. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so the students were like 19, early 20s, yeah. that age. And, um, you know, they got it. Yeah, my they, kids they do. They got it. And, and, you know, they, if anybody was, would be expected to not understand, mm-hmm. you'd think it would be people that grew up with this swimming yeah. in this water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they understand exactly what's wrong with the, the current state of affairs mm-hmm. when it comes to social media, especially. For sure. Yeah. It's yeah. an anxiety machine for them. Well, it is, but they have, I don't know, I find my kids have a lot more control than I thought. Like, you know what I mean? I thought they were addicted to it, but they were, they're, it's an interesting thing. Like my third year was, I was taking a picture I was going to put on Twitter. Somebody's like, yeah, I didn't give you permission to do that. And I was like, okay, you're right. I didn't. And I was sort of like, good for you. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's to be applauded. But I, I don't think that, I mean, you obviously didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Listen to. Well, I no, was going to say you didn't have to teach her that. I mean, maybe you did. Uh, he knew it without me or, teaching me, him. him. Yeah, yeah. I, he, he had a sense of his privacy that was very different. We just went along with it, and they aren't. I, that's my perception from the, my kids and their friends. I mean, I didn't want to. I remember very clearly when Facebook came mm-hmm. to my campus and everybody was signing up, and I didn't want to because mm-hmm. I was reading blogs like, you know, Google is evil.com or whatever it was, you know, like remember those remember er, old days. Yeah. Oh, I love suck. And uh, yeah, suck. Uh, 
And he's like, whatever, you're crazy. It's going to be fine. Just just yeah. do it. Who cares? And I was like, okay, fine. I basically succumbed to peer pressure. And I yeah. still think back sometimes. Like, yeah. What if I just held firm? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that was long ago, maybe in another oh, timeline. No, you can download all your information and rid yourself of it, allegedly. I, do you believe that? No, not for a second. I mean, what happens when you delete a post? We already know. I mean, you can't uh, delete anything. I mean, come on. The internet is... And there's no way to audit it. This is why we need the government involved. Yeah. So the main... Oh, the, that's the other lesson, okay. you know. I want to get people off of this idea that there's a tech solution for everything, mm-hmm. especially technological problems. Yeah. Some problems only have political solutions. Right. And I think we've reached the agree. point where we need a political solution. Yeah. You know, interestingly, Barack Obama gave that speech. It wasn't much noticed at the end of his tenure. And he said, tech people think there's a tech solution for everything. And there's not some problems don't have a solution. So I guess he changed his mind about it. Uh, it was interesting. Thing. Yeah. No, he's not going to be able to see. I don't think that's what I think he's going around and being just cool. I think that's his job, right? <laughs> yeah. Being cool. The beach. Hitting the beach. Doing, I wish he would not do that so much. I've been asked. Uh, it's a little painful for the rest of us to watch. I, I know. Mean, I'm like, it's not time to be cool. It's time to be not cool. Cool. Like I agree with you. I, I I just said that the other day. Like when you're tired of going on celebrity interviews, it would be really nice for you to speak up. <laughs> yeah, show up at a women's march show up or, something. or something. Something. Well, we'll see. Anyway, Corey, it was great talking to you. He has a book. You should absolutely read it. It's very dyspeptic, but I like dyspeptic stuff. Is that would that be I'm correct? Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. It's a very funny book, and it's a, there is a genre. There is a really great. There's a whole bunch of books like this, and I read them all because I think they're all they remind us a great deal of. Uh, thinking hard about the choices we're making. Uh, but thanks for coming on the show. Thank you It's very called much. Uh, Live, Work, 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 Die. A journey into the savage heart of Silicon Valley. Thank you very much. In bookstores everywhere. Okay, in stores <laughs> everywhere. Uh, anyway, thanks for talking to me. It was great for Absolutely. you to come on the show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out one of our other Recode Radio podcasts on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You're hearing no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, which is coming up, and Code Media. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. Technology today has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to good use. Together, we can build a smarter future for all of us. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart.